Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast Podcast, hosted at podfeed.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, June 13th, 2021, and this is show number 840. Well, last week I told you about how I was trying to help my friend Diane figure out a way to back up her daughter-in-law's full-resolution photos library when her only Mac's internal drive was too small to hold the originals. The method I described will certainly work, but it's not the cleanest process I've ever worked out and not too easy to do repeatedly. At the end of my uh, conversation about this, uh, my bottom line, I said I really hoped that someone would send me a, well, actually, Allison, and describe a far easier method. Well, ask and ye shall receive. Under the Lion Rock, in the comments on the blog post from last week, pointed us to a Macworld article by Glenn Fleischman. Now, Glenn Fleischman didn't have the better idea. A reader of his, named Todd, had sent in a much more elegant and repeatable solution to the exact same problem. The basic idea is create a second user account on this small disk Mac. Connect it to your iCloud account, but instead of having it save your images and videos to the internal drive, point that account's photos library to an external drive. Presuming you buy a big enough external drive, you can then tell it to download full-sized originals to this external photos library. Every time you want to make a backup of your full-sized originals, simply switch accounts, connect the drive, wait for it to synchronize, and you're good to go. Isn't that a brilliant solution? It is far better than all the faffing about that I suggested. So thank you to Under the Lion Rock for telling us about it. Thank you to Macworld reader Todd for thinking it up. Thank you to Macworld author Glenn Fleischman for writing it up and the entire community for pitching in on this very interesting problem to be solved. In this week's installment of Programming by Stealth, Bart Bouchotz teaches us how to use a free service of GitHub called GitHub Pages. The service literally gives you free web hosting for the web apps we've learned to make in Programming by Stealth. Bart starts by explaining to us the difference between static and dynamic web pages, and then web pages created by static site generators like Jekyll, which generates GitHub pages. It's trivially easy to create a GitHub page from an open GitHub repo. It is literally three clicks in the interface, but it's really important to understand what you're doing when you take advantage of this service. We'll learn what you can do and what you can't do, and what you could do if you chose to dig deeper into the woods on how to use Jekyll to generate GitHub pages. I'm really excited to learn about GitHub Pages and how easy it is to host all of the web apps we've created in this series. If you want to learn about this, check out Programming by Stealth in your podcatcher of choice, and you can find Bart's fabulous show notes at pbs.bartificer.net. to give 100% credit for this tip to John Syracuse on the Accidental Tech Podcast. Here's the problem to be solved. How many times have you been navigating your Apple TV interface and you can't tell what's been selected? On the home screen of the Apple TV interface, there's a slightly more pronounced shadow for the selected icon, and if you gently jiggle your finger on the trackpad, the selected icon will jiggle. I don't know about you, but that's annoying to me. Even more annoying is after I get in inside some apps, I literally cannot tell what's been selected. We watch a lot of shows on Hulu, and if you get into that episode list, I defy you to explain to me how to tell which episode has been selected. If this drives you bonkers, you'll love this tip from John. We're going to turn on high contrast in the focus style options. It's buried, so here's the path. 
you want to open up the Settings app and select Accessibility. In Accessibility, select Increase Contrast. In Increase Contrast, select Focus Style. Then in Focus Style, select High Contrast. When you're done, hold down the key on your particular remote that takes you back to the home screen, menu on the older remotes and the backward facing Chevron on the new one, and you'll see a lovely bright white border on the icon you've selected. Now, every app doesn't obey this in every spot, but it works in a lot of places. For example, when I go into Hulu and for some idiotic reason, they designate the user you're choosing by putting a green line above the name, that is not highlighted because then you might be able to figure out which user you'd selected. But when I go into a show in Hulu and I select the episode list, the thumbnail for the currently selected episode is in that nice white border. I'm not sure this last bit is super useful, but if you ignore the home screen for a while, the entire screen will dim except for the one icon you've selected, which will be bright and obvious. Like I said, I'm not sure it's really useful to have to sit and wait for this, but I thought it was interesting that it does it. Anyway, as soon as we finished testing this high contrast focus style, Steve and I both decided we needed in to enable this feature on all five Apple TVs in the house. As John said on the Accidental Tech Podcast, why is this not the default? During Apple's WWDC keynote, they showed off some amazing new text recognition features coming to the Mac and iOS. You're going to be able to select text right out of an image. They even demonstrated pointing an iPhone's camera at a whiteboard and using a finger to drag across the handwritten text and have it actually select it and copy it as text. It was, as I said on Shelley Brisbane's parallel podcast, the Simone Biles of text recognition. Well, I've got a Mac app tip for you that isn't quite as cool as what's coming in the next OS updates for Apple fans, but you can have it now and you don't need a brand new Mac to use it. The app is called Text Sniper and it's $9.99 in the Mac App Store or it's available through Setapp. You can also buy it directly from the developer's website if you only need it on one Mac for $6.99 at techsniper.app. I can make it even cheaper than that for a limited time from now till June 21st. The developer has a 21% discount on the app if you buy it at techsniper.app right now. Well, the main problem that TechSniper sets out to solve is to allow you to copy text that isn't really text, but actually a graphical representation of text. One of the main places I'm aggravated by non-text text is in the App Store. I'm often reviewing an app, and I want to use the description the developer so carefully crafted, and yet it's not real text, so I can't copy it. Think about this use case. You get a PDF from someone, but it hasn't been OCR'd. It hasn't had optical character recognition applied to it. But with TechSniper, you can still select it as though it was text. TechSniper is a menu bar app with a very simple interface. Before digging into all of the options, let me explain how easily it works. In the menu bar app, select Capture Text, and your cursor will change to crosshairs just as though you're starting a screenshot. Click and drag across the area with the text you want to capture, and you'll hear a playful beep-boop sound, and you'll very briefly see a happy thumbs-up on screen that says Copied to Clipboard. Now, if you're cranky pants with no joy in your heart, both the, the playful beep boop and happy thumbs up can be disabled from TechSniper's preferences. As soon as you capture the text with TechSniper, you can paste it into the app of your choice. Now, before we go too much further into what TechSniper can do, I'm sure most of you are thinking, sure, Allison, that sounds great, but how well does it actually work? 
Well, in my testing, if the text on screen is typed, it is 100% accurate. However, in testing TechSniper on handwritten text, it's not very accurate at all. Maybe it would save you a bit of typing, but the variations in, in handwriting are so vast that it really struggles at that task. So it's designed for type text that's been converted to a graphic. Now, you might have dismissed TechSniper immediately because of its inability to accurately interpret handwritten text. You might be thinking, I'll just wait till Mac OS 12 comes out. While it absolutely does look awesome, this new feature does look great, the optical character recognition that's coming from Apple requires a Mac with an Apple Silicon chip to work. Right now, only the M1 Macs will be able to use this feature. So now that I have your interest back, let's dig deeper into what TechSniper can do. If you're grabbing text that's in a narrow column, the text you snipe will have line breaks to keep it consistent with what you saw. But if you really just want the text so it won't look dumb in another application, in the menu bar dropdown, you can disable keep line breaks. If you're going to be grabbing many snippets of text that you'll need to assemble later, it would be inefficient to grab the text, switch apps, paste, go back to the graphic, grab another section, and, and switch back. TechSniper solves this problem with an option in the menu dropdown called Additive Clipboard. Simply capture repeatedly, and you get all of the text in one paste to your text application. Sort of like a little tiny clipboard manager in a way. When you're done capturing multiple snippets of text, there's a menu option to clear clipboard history and uncheck additive clipboard. I'm betting that 100% of the time I use the additive clipboard, I'm going to forget to turn that off. It happened once already in my testing. I've demonstrated the built-in ways on macOS and iOS to have your device read you with text-to-speech in other articles, but TechSniper can do this with graphics containing text. In the menu, enable text-to-speech, and not only will the text be read out loud to you, it will also be captured to the clipboard. Now, if you're a text-to-speech fanatic, then you probably like to listen at insane speeds. In general preferences for TechSniper, you can change the text-to-speech rate from 50 to 700 words per minute. Now, I can listen to about 400 words per minute, but you know what? You do you. One of the annoying things about text-to-speech, in general, is that sometimes you get it started and you realize you didn't really want to hear all that much, so having a way to stop it is pretty important. There's an easy menu pick to stop text from speaking in TechSniper. The entire text you grabbed will still be in the clipboard, though, so that's kind of nifty. Seeing that TechSniper can do text-to-speech made me wonder how accessible it might be. I'm happy to report that every bit of TechSniper is accessible to voiceover on the Mac. I did find a weirdness that it seems to say the names of the preference options twice the first time through, but other than that, it was grand. I'm not entirely sure how, as a voiceover user, you would use the screen selection tool, but I'll leave that to more highly trained users. Another slick feature of TechSniper is that it can read barcodes and QR codes. Using the menu dropdown, select read QR slash barcode, and then drag across the code, and you will have copied whatever secret message was buried in the code. I don't run into barcodes I need to read very often, but QR codes come up from time to time. I created a QR code that should take you to podfeed.com, and I tested it with TechSniper, and it immediately captured my URL. I thought that was a pretty cool party trick. Now, as a side tip, did you know that if you point your iPhone's camera at a QR code for a URL, you'll see a pop-up offering to open that URL for you? It's built right into your phone's camera. Well, if you start using TechSniper pretty often, you may want to add a keyboard shortcut to trigger the app. In TechSniper preferences, there are many options to add keyboard shortcuts. 
Not only can you record shortcuts to capture text, you can add shortcuts to capture the last selection, capture without line breaks, capture with line breaks, capture QR barcodes, and all the ever important feature, stop speaking. You can imagine that if you get used to using TechSniper on a regular basis, there's going to be times you want line breaks and times you don't. There'll be times you want additive clipboard and times you won't. There'll be times you want TechSniper to talk to you and times you want it to be silent. Luckily for the power users, there are toggles to enable and disable each of these features after you enable TechSniper, but before you click and drag across the text. For example, if text-to-speech is enabled by default, but you're in a library and you want to be very, very quiet, you can hold down Command-S after your trigger's text sniper, and you'll see the off text-to-speech in a very brief pop-up window. Note that this is different than stopping speaking. It means don't start speaking in the first place. You can enable and disable and re-enable line breaks, additive clipboard, and text-to-speech right before you start the text capture. While I was testing the toggle shortcuts I just described, I accidentally hit the space bar after I triggered TechSniper, and the window over which my cursor was hovering turned blue, just like it does when you're doing a screen capture. It turns out you can capture an entire Windows text with TechSniper this way. I had no idea it could do this, so it was a delightful surprise. And it might actually be a good way for voiceover users to be able to trigger the, the uh, capturing of TechSniper and have it read back to them. Now, the privacy conscious amongst you might be concerned about what the developer might be doing with all of this text you're capturing. Put those worries aside. TechSniper uses on-device optical character recognition to do its magic. I didn't just take developer Valeris Bogutskis word for it. I unplugged Ethernet from my dock and I turned off Wi-Fi on my MacBook Pro and I tested it myself and it continued to work perfectly. So if you really care about privacy, you're going to like this app. If the text you often need to capture has domain-specific jargon, such as medical or technical terms, in preferences, you can add the words you think TechSniper will need to recognize to uh, a custom words dictionary. TechSniper text recognition is available in English, French, Italian, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and Chinese, both simplified and traditional. By the way, I've gotten so used to using TechSniper to capture text for me that I tried to use it to capture that list of languages from TechSniper's preferences. But the one place it doesn't work is within its own preferences. It felt so archaic to have to type that out by hand and not just be able to capture it. Well, the final thing to know about TechSniper is that you can remove it from the menu bar altogether. This doesn't make it run as a traditional app or show in your dock for easy access. It simply makes it invisible that it's running in the background. If you're a keyboard shortcut wizard, this might work quite well for you, but I think I'll be keeping it in my menu bar for the duration. Now, when I first considered telling you about TechSniper, I figured it would take about 30 seconds to describe it because I had no idea how in-depth this application was. I know that $10 sounds like a lot for a small utility app, but remember, it's only seven and there's a 21% discount off that $7 if you buy it directly from the developer. But if that is too price and is too steep for your wallet, I got to tell you, I've used it about 20 times in the last week since I installed it. So I really do like it. And I did go out and buy it directly from the developer, even though I had an in set app. I, it's actually one of the things I like about using Setapp is it allows me to test apps in their full functionality. And then if I really think I'm going to want to keep it for the long term, I go ahead and buy it directly from the developer. 
So I was able to test it without additional cost because I have a subscription and now I know that I love TechSniper and I'll continue to keep using it. Okay, this is funny. As soon as I was done uh, talking about this article, uh, Ron Heidi in the um, in the Discord chat wrote a great idea. He said I could have screen captured the preferences, displayed the screen capture image, say in preview, and then I could have sniped the text on the image so I didn't have to write it by hand. During the recent EV Owners Roundtable hosted by Tom Merritt and Sarah Lane on the Daily Tech News Show, I had the pleasure of meeting Bodie Grimm, who does the Kilowatt Podcast. This is a great show for people who want to learn about EVs and keep up with the news coming from all of the different manufacturers. We've got a little something coming up soon, a surprise that I don't want to spoil just yet, so I'm just going to give you a little tease about that. But not only have Bodhi and I become good friends, Bodhi is our newest patron of the Podfeet podcast. Bodhi went to podfeet.com Patreon and he pledged to support all of the work we do here in a financial way. I really appreciate his support, and even more, I appreciate this new friendship. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchotts. I almost said chit-chat. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing just fine. Um, I feel a bit like I, I might be in California. It's 26 degrees Celsius today. Oh, that's positively balmy. It is. It's a good thing you don't have uh, smelly, smelly net or whatever you'd call it, because I haven't had a chance to shower after my cycle. Um, I'll be doing that very shortly after we get off this microphone. Well, thank goodness we never did get that thing invented. Well, we've got some really, really fun deep dives here. I think uh, at least one of we them, do. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, let's kick in. Okie dokie. Well, we start off with some follow-ups on stuff we've been talking about before. So last time we talked about how Facebook abuse EXIF data to track users' location, even when they've told Facebook they really don't want their location tracked. And literally, like, five minutes after we got off the call, my RSS reader pinged in with a great article from Tidbits with some practical advice for how to strip out the EXIF data from photos before you upload them to your favorite Facebook-owned site. So I figured I'd throw it in the links this time. Okay, I thought you did last time. I thought you told us how to uh, use tools even from within iOS to export to another app. I said they existed, but this this article from Tidbits is just a little bit more practical. I was like, I darn, I wish I'd had that for the show notes. So I figured Uh, I'll throw it in here for follow-up. Okay, okay, that sounds good. Uh, Another little bit of follow-up. A few months ago, specifically on the 7th of March, we talked about a new technology Firefox we're working on called Total Cookie Protection which basically makes cross-site tracking impossible. And like Facebook, oh, not Facebook, Firefox always do with new technology, they roll it out conservatively. So it starts off in the developer previews where people who are not afraid of the bleeding edge hang out. And then they bring it into their private browsing mode. And then they bring it into real Firefox. So we have now arrived at stage two of three. So from Firefox 89 on, total cookie protection is enabled by default on all of your private tabs. Oh, very nice. It is. Uh, Twitter are continuing their work on sort of making slow incremental changes to nudge users towards being less toxic and evil on their platform. Uh, So their birdwatch idea of having notes attached to fake news has moved onto more testing. So it's still only available to people in their test group, but it's now actually in the app 
as well as on the website for these test people. So apparently they say that the tests are going well and they're continuing to move forward with it. So hopefully all of us get to play soon. But for now, it's, you know, moving forward. Well, that kind of takes the fun out of giving them a hard time for what they allowed to happen. But it's it's a tricky problem. It is a tricky problem. And if you look at all the social media companies, Twitter are the ones I feel have taken the most adult attitude to it. I, whenever I hear interviews with, with Jack Dorsey, I, I don't find myself grinding my teeth. Really? I cannot say the same when I hear interviews with, uh, frankly, the Googlers or with uh, the Facebookers. So, yeah, begrudgingly, begrudgingly, I sort of give it to him. Interesting. Anyway. Uh, President Biden has reversed another Trump era thing. That whole banning TikTok and WeChat thing. Yeah, uh, undo, undo. So that that's sort of gone away. Uh, but as if TikTok just couldn't avoid controversy, now is when they decided to change their privacy policy to allow them to collect biometric information. So yay! <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Just do nothing for a week or two, guys. Just just shush. give yourself a break, right? Yep. And then to end on a good news follow-up, um, the US Justice Department has managed to claw back $2.3 million paid by the Colonial Pipeline to the ransomware gang. So, nicely done. Now, I thought we were actually going to dig into that a little bit because that was a... Uh, I thought that was going to be one of our deep dives because that was really interesting what the FBI did there. Well, it's interesting they got the money back, but it's frustrating that they have told us, in order to protect her, they had a word for this, tradecraft. They're not telling us how. Well, we do know some of what they did. They they actually tracked, uh, the, the uh, from what I understand, uh, blockchain makes you anonymous, but your wallet is not anonymous. The existence it's, of it, and it can, be, it can be tracked. You can see what's going on with your wallet. So they were able to isolate... They were able to isolate. Pseudonymous is the word. Sorry. They were able to isolate the wallet, a set of wallets that were that they knew about that could potentially be the 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 bad actors in this case. And they watched until uh, uh, I think it's sixty three Bitcoin showed up in this one wallet, and that's and they were able to they were able to hack into that wallet. Which is what's kind of, that's the piece they're not telling us about. But we know they track that, and there's still like 11 point something uh, uh, Bitcoin at large that they're still watching for because there were 75 originally, and they've got 63 of them back. The reason the dollar number is so much lower is because Bitcoin dropped that much. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch the, yeah, you can't judge Bitcoin by its dollar equivalent because you could be wrong five minutes from now. Yeah. Um, well, it's, yeah, so. The term for for what Bitcoin is is pseudonymous. So you get this random ID, right? Your your wallet has this big glop of randomness, but it stays forever. It's a permanent big glop of randomness. So you can follow it around. Right, okay. right. Yeah, well, so we don't know how they got into the uh, into the wallet itself. Obtained that, the key is the line obtained from their press the release. We obtained the key. Did you now? <laughs> like we don't know if that was bamboo shoots under a fingernail or or right. some or some social engineering or we well, don't know. a theory. The, the closest I've heard to a theory is that it involves a Bitcoin exchange because the Bitcoin exchange is the place where the real world meets the virtual world and where someone like the FBI 
could potentially issue warrants and things. So if the bad guys want to turn their Bitcoins into dollars, they need to go through an exchange. And it's at that point in time, the FBI could swoop in. Right. The closest to a theory I have heard. The other thing someone has pointed out is that this appears to be the share of the money that would go. So this was ransomware as a service. So there was a 15% fee that the bad guys had to pay to the service provider. And this money recovered is 15% short. So this is the share that would have gone to the people renting the ransomware as a service. Okay. So as always, the the, the people who made money in the gold rush were the people who made uh, shovels and spades, not the people who were doing the digging. So right now, the person that rented them the software, they're the ones that that actually made money. (laughs) Yeah, they still have their 15% so far. I just, yeah. You had to be happy with the FBI for getting oh, those yeah. people not getting the money, though. Oh, yeah, I smiled. I, I literally smiled. It was, it was fun. Uh, Deep Dive 1, then, is a uh, uh, fire extinguisher icon. Don't panic about Amazon Sidewalk. Um, a lot of the press got very hot and bothered about this Amazon Sidewalk mesh network. And I found it very difficult to understand the factual basis for the hyperventilating. And especially because of the context the story arose in, because this is just a few weeks after Apple automatically enabled and opted everyone into their Find My network. And this is basically exactly the same as Apple's Find My network. And Apple were praised for being fantastic, and Amazon are being lambasted for being evil. And I'm looking at what they've done, and I'm going... But they've done the same thing. So I don't know if it's, it's Amazon It's identical thing at all. How is it not identical at all? It, so it's... Apple is not taking bandwidth from my home Wi-Fi network. Absolutely it is. How are, the, how are those AirTags talking? I mean, this is just signaling process, right? So these devices are no, sending no, no. signals if back. If I essentially... own AirTags and they're in my house, yes, that would be using my Wi-Fi of my home network. But when I'm out on the street and I'm walking by somebody's house, it is not using that person's home Wi-Fi. That is not true. Every iPhone you pass by, it's using their internet. And every every tag that comes near you, that every visitor to your house with the tag is it using is your internet. It is not their home Wi-Fi, which is what... Is, so it's not exactly the same thing. It may have similarities, but it's not exactly the same thing. It's so close, I don't see a difference. Is it using up to 500 megabytes of data of a, of a, I... of a user per month? That's what, I that's really what need Amazon to see a sidewalk. source on that. Amazon Sidewalk, I, I read it at Amazon. I, I'll give you the source. 500 they, megs, that does not comport with what I've read at all. That, 500 megs? That's, that's very difficult to believe. I that might be, be off by an order of magnitude, but I remember it being a half a gig. That seems very, very high for what this and thing And it wasn't does. expected to be that, but it was saying right. no more than that. Okay, here's, here's a quote from Amazon.com, Amazon-Sidewalk. Today, when you share your Bridges connection with Sidewalk, total monthly data used by Sidewalk per account is capped at 500 megabytes, which is equivalent to streaming about 10 minutes of high-definition video. Right, that's a cap. That's not an expectation. That's what I said. I said it was not expected to be that. Those were the words I just used. I was careful yeah, to word it, it that way. Well, well, I mean, Steve, Steve Gibson did a really deep dive on this back in December before it was controversial. And I expected to be cranky at Amazon and to hate it. And I finished listening and I went, oh, no, that's grand. And I haven't seen any facts change. And 
I mean, I'm a, Ars Technica sort of half came out against it too, and I thought, okay, I'll give Dan Gooden a read because, well, I like Dan Gooden, he writes well. And I tried to find the basis in his argument against it, and it basically boiled down to, well, they've designed it really well, but what if there's a problem with Bluetooth in the future? So, so the, but that's an argument from possibility. So they've they've written their own uh, network protocol. Is that correct? Or network encryption. Right. For this it, and and the, is is have there been in the history of time problems with uh, open standards for uh, network encryption protocols? Sure. We've had them improve, and there have been problems found in them and stuff, but they're found sure. by their open source. A closed source... I, I guess I, I look at this as as people who, who say, you shouldn't use Telegram, you should use Signal, because Telegram's uh, encryption protocol is is proprietary. I see those as the same thing. And though okay. I have chosen the what for me is a better solution, but I have accepted that it's not as good of an encryption. Right, but there's a difference between using something you're protecting secret, you know, messages that are potentially sensitive with and using something that's just signaling some basic Everything about chatter. my home. Everything well, on my much, home network. <laughs> well, no, because it's other people's stuff that just happens to be passing by that's getting its signaling traffic. So it's it's not your it's not your privacy that's that's being up for for messing about when it's just as basically turn on turn off. As long as they don't make any mistakes in their uh, their networking okay. encryption but, protocol that's close a, a closed standard. So how's that different to AirTag? What protocol are they using with AirTags? I thought they were Apple's using Bluetooth. Invented. I thought they were using Bluetooth to talk to the to the phone to nearby devices. At the very, very, very lowest level, they use Bluetooth, and then everything on top of that is Apple's own proprietary layer of stuff with Apple's own proprietary but encryption that, and Apple's own proprietary key negotiation. And that's negotiation. not talking to your home network. It is not talking to your home Wi-Fi network where everything you own lives. That's not true, because it's all going through your home network. That's how it's bridging its way from those devices through your phone and all onto your stuff. So it is passing through all of your stuff. And it's passing through your iPhone, which contains so more sensitive when, information. When you're, you're saying when your phone walks by, or your AirTag walks by my phone, that that mm-hmm. network traffic is going through my home Wi-Fi when I'm out on the subway? I don't think well, so. Well, not when you're on the subway, but if I, if I visit your house, it is. It, right, but if you're visiting my house, you're visiting my house. That's different than... But I'm not on your network. But the person walking through your by iPhone. the street is. The person walking by right. on the street is. With but if I'm if I'm if I, if if I'm passing by your iPhone, then the thing which contains most of your sensitive information is where all of that is passing. Like your iPhone is the crown jewels, and that is what you are trusting Apple to send that's, that information for AirTags through. That's that's Other not my AirTags. crown jewels. My crown jewels are on my NAS that's inside my home network. So I, I don't want anything talking to my home network that isn't mine. I, 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 I'm not, not, I'm but not it's not though panicking. because it's I'm not, your your title was don't panic. I'm not panicked. I don't okay, want good, them because... doing it to my house. Luckily, nothing I own is eligible. I own like twelve uh, Amazon devices, and none of them are eligible. And just to say, it's not actually on your network, right? It, it's it, it's uh, uh, like you won't see those packets passing if you do a packet sniff on your network because it's not on your network. It, it's it's like sort of VLANs that's sort of adjacent to your network. And if you're 
if you have an, uh, an eligible device and you're already trusting Amazon with a hell of a lot more information than you're trusting it with for this stuff. I mean, you've already allowed, you're, you're already trusting Amazon a lot. Yes, I am. By my own choice. With right, eyes wide open. I mean, with eyes wide but open. No, but but no, no non-Amazon customer is affected by this. That's fine. So, I don't know. I don't, I'm saying, I don't understand I'm why Apple get a free pass. I'm not disagreeing with yeah. your, your bottom line. I'm saying I have chosen, well, I was going to turn it off except for the fact that I can't because <laughs> it, it's not going to work. I was all looking for that button. Oh, you almost wish you could turn it off, don't you? Oh, I totally do. This is like like enabling apps to ask me to track so that I can say no. <laughs> That's true, actually. You were very keen to do that. I remember oh, that. absolutely. That I was really sad for a while when I didn't get any, and now I'm like, yeah, die, died. Anyway, all right. Well, this <laughs> wasn't is, supposed to be a deep dive. This was supposed to be a bullet point. Point. I should keep well, yes, going. but okay. But the important point to say is, if you want to know more, if you want to know what's, re- you know, if you want the, the propeller beanie, you know, then there is a link to Security Now episode seven hundred and ninety six, where Steve Gibson, Steve Gibson's it very thoroughly. So, if you want to, okay, deep dive two. Apple buried the lead with private relay. Did I get it right that time? Yes. yes I, oh, yeah. We're, yes, we're, okay. Keep an eye, an ear on us. We will be saying privacy relay when we mean private relay. Yes. That's our, our one uh, time we're going to say that. <laughs> because Apple are so great at having brand names that are just words, like photos and private relay. And anyway, yes. So everyone is going on about private relay because it's the funnest thing from a security point of view, Apple announced at WWDC. And just a, a mental note, I haven't put into the show notes all the stuff Apple announced at WWDC because I think we'll talk about it in detail when it actually becomes real instead of future. Mm-hmm. So when iOS 15 comes out and we can all start to play, I think is when we will dig in. But one thing that's gotten an awful lot of attention is Private Relay because it defies clear classification and it's been misclassified in a lot of places, and presumably because Apple don't like to talk deep down nerdy tech, Apple themselves have described it very, very loosely to the press. So can, the, I, can I say what, what I heard during the... Yes, just so, so people remember what it was, was they basically said that when you surf the internet, which I, we all inferred they only meant Safari... That you would, uh, your traffic would go through two servers so that no one in that chain knows everywhere where you've been and who you are. It was something yes. very, very brief like that. And then they moved on. Yeah. And very... then everybody started going, is this a VPN? Well, that's not exactly what a VPN does. Would it do this? Would it do that? Yeah, exactly. You're here to demystify now, it, I hope. I am. Thanks, and frankly, thanks to Apple. So, thanks to Apple and thanks to, um, ah, Mac Observer, really cool guy we both like, Dave Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, Dave linked to, uh, D- Dave Hamilton wrote a nice article summarizing a lot of what uh, Private Relay does. And in that article, he linked to one of the developer videos on Apple's developer site. And because of COVID, everything is free from WWDC. So I was just able to watch the entire video. So it was aimed at developers telling them what they had to do to prepare their app to make use of Private Relay. And the answer is nothing. Oh, wow. Just It'll just work, which is kind of cool. But because it's to the developer audience, 
they actually explained it. They actually talked about the technology instead of just this hand-waving vague description. And the moment they mentioned two relays, my brain went, I've heard about this. Myself and Alison talked about this. This is oblivious DNS over HTTPS. But that's a DNS technology. What's going on? So I was very confused for a moment. Um, Well, for many moments until I watched the entire Apple video. But basically, to me, the actually most important thing about this entire announcement is that every single DNS query from our computers and our phones and our tablets, if we are uh, iCloud Plus customers, is going to be encrypted and anonymous. That is the biggest win out of this. All of our DNS traffic is going to be protected because this is OS level oblivious DNS over HTTPS. That is one of the features that this brings. It's been a while since we talked about oblivious Mm -hmm. uh, DNS or are you going to, or DHCP over? Well, let me see if I can do it. Oblivious DNS over HTTPS. There, I did it. So, yay. And the nice thing is it has an acronym, which is ODO which, okay. as Star Trek fans, we're not going to forget. So <laughs> we're just going to call it Odo. <laughs> yes. Odo is the other way to look at it. Um, so we talked about it in December. December 27th. Ooh, between Christmas and New Year. So December 2020. So if you want to listen back, there's a whole episode, but I can sum it up quite quickly. So DNS is used every single time any app on your computer needs to turn a name into an IP address. So that means it's not just your web browsing, it's not just your email, it's your chat apps, it's every app that talks to the internet is using DNS. So if someone can see your DNS traffic, they actually can see an awful lot of what you're doing, not just on the web, but on the internet, which is much, much bigger. DNS is ancient. And like all the ancient protocols, privacy wasn't even an afterthought. Privacy just wasn't a thought. So it's a privacy train wreck. It's entirely in plain text, all of it, everything about it. So DNS over HTTPS, or DOE, and its cousin DNS over TLS, which didn't quite take off, went a long way towards solving this problem because they wrapped the DNS queries in a layer of encryption, specifically in a layer of HTTPS. And so Firefox switched to DOH about a year ago. So that means and, that and which f- problem is this that it was solving? Was it anonymity or um, privacy? Uh, it solves a privacy problem. It's it solves because it, it encrypts it. It encrypts. So that means that while it's passing through your ISP, no one knows what DNS queries you're making. So it's okay. for, so you can't spy on people. Okay. But you've now moved all of your trust to whomever Firefox route that traffic to. Okay. So. Wh- so you, you've you've taken your ISP out of the loop and you've taken everyone you're sharing the coffee shop with out of the loop, which is definitely a step forward. But it's but maybe now put, Cloudflare or right. Google DNS. Okay. Exactly. So you've now gone and said 100% of your DNS traffic is now going to be congregated. And Firefox have, I think, is three partners for offering DOH. So basically Firefox ended up concentrating DNS information on a few providers, the main one of which is Cloudflare, who we happen to like and trust. But it's still kind of an interesting change in the power dynamic on the internet, where all of a sudden, the world's, you know, Firefox users' DNS has been concentrated on a few providers. So Cloudflare and Apple and a couple of other partners designed a new protocol that would would take DNS over HTTPS and add one more layer to make it anonymous 
and encrypted. And the way to do that is to add an extra player into the mix. So from your computer to player number one, it is fully encrypted. So that that's called the ingress proxy. The ingress proxy knows exactly who you are because they have an IP TCP IP connection to you. So they know exactly who you are, but there's a layer of encryption over what you're handing them. So they have no idea what you're asking, but they know who you are. Okay, what is that one called? The ingress proxy. Okay. And that's going to be Apple for this service. Okay, so you said they know who you are, but they don't know what you're sending, or was it the other way around? They know who you are, but they have no idea what you're asking. Okay, all right. They then hand the still encrypted question to the second party, the second server in the chain. Okay. The second server has no idea who you are (laughs) because they've been handed it by Apple, along with everything else from Apple, but they can wrap out the last layer of encryption and they know what you're asking. But since that's already encrypted, it's like you've got two opposite keys locking it in both right. directions. Right. So they know what you need, but they have no idea who you are. So they can then go off and fetch you the answer, okay. re-encrypt it, and hand it back to the relay, who now has a completely encrypted glob again. And mm-hmm. they know who to give it back to, but they still don't know what question was asked or what answer they got, but they know who oh, to give it back to. Interesting. So... Exactly. It's a really elegant solution. So the third party knows what you're looking up, but they have no idea who you are. And Apple know that you're looking something up and they can do the passing over and back, but they have no idea what it is you're looking up. And so you get this wonderful full anonymity and security for your DNS traffic. But it's all over HTTPS. So if you throw more resources at it, why not just put all of your web traffic through the same architecture? All you have to do is scale it up. It's already HTTPS. Wait, I I missed a turn. I thought we were talking about all of your HTTP traffic. No, we've been talking about DNS. This is oblivious DNS over HTTPS. So so the standard we knew about, what we were told about by a big press release in December, was that Cloudflare and Apple and a few other partners had invented this protocol for secure DNS. Right. So this was using the HTTPS technology to do DNS. Domain name lookups. Right. And what Apple have done now is said, well, this architecture is great, but it's already doing HTTPS. So why don't we shove people's internet traffic through the same pipe? I thought that's what doing DNS was, was putting your... No, it was just the lookup. It's just the lookup. Okay, but now DNS the is just the lookup. Well. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Right. So it's like, what's well, already talking HTTPS, assuming we scale it up so that it can handle the load, because DNS packets are tiny, right? It's just, what's the IP address for podfeet.com? It's this. I mean, that's tiny compared to give me all of YouTube, right? Right, it, it's, right. So okay. They just scaled it up. They just basically have paid their partners, which seems to be, at the very least, uh, one of them is definitely um, Cloudflare, who okay. have massive resources. Right. And so they're, they're shoving all internet traffic from Safari through this relay, giving exactly this protection, not just to your DNS queries, but to your web browsing. And that's already cool. So that's two cool things we've already gotten here. But there's a third. Before you move on, this does mean you're still trusting Apple to know who you are. But they don't know what you're asking. So they don't know what you're surfing. Yeah, but I mean, they they know a piece of of it. They know who you are. But that is, there's nothing you can really do with knowing who you are unless it's attached to something you were asking for. Right. It's not not interesting. 
Correct. So the only piece of information they have is that you are using the internet and the amount of data that is flowing to you. So they know that you're an internet user and how heavily you use the internet. So I guess they can, they can figure out quite how addicted you are to TikTok videos or whatever. But that's it. They don't know their TikTok videos. They don't know anything else. They just know that you like the internet. <laughs> okay. Which I think is all of us, frankly. Yeah, right. So that's already two pretty darn cool things. So every single app on your machine gets DNS over HTTPS, which means oblivious DNS over HTTPS. So every single app has just gained anonymous DNS. Every single thing you do in your computer. That's amazing. Safari gets really, really good privacy now for all of your web browsing that you do on Safari. Mm-hmm. Mail.app piggybacks through the same thing to do all the mail privacy stuff they talked about as well, by the way. Well, That's I was the, all the, wouldn't mail, why wouldn't Mail.app just get all of those benefits without having to do stuff like removing the, 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 the uh, invisible p- pixel thing and all that? Well, they're not removing the pixel. They're basically having a server over on the other end. Basically, what's happening is that the IP address that shows up as querying the pixel isn't yours. So right, you but, get but the, wouldn't it be invisible to the to the bad or to the advertiser anyway because of uh, ODOH? Like, why do they have to talk specifically about that private that pixel thing in mail? Well, because it's not Safari browsing. So if they've said that this stuff only does Safari, they then have to say, oh yeah, and we have this cool stuff in mail, but under the hood, it's the same technology. But you said it was uh, everything your your Mac does trying to connect to the internet. D- DNS, all of your DNS queries, right? It's the conversion of domain name to IP address. Every app gets that. That is not the same as all of your traffic. Oh, right? I thought, okay, no, okay, that, that good. I'm glad I'm asking this. So I, I missed that turn. Very important. In, so the the part about it missing or about it stopping uh, any track or I'm, I'm saying it poorly, completely obfuscating what you're doing on the internet is only Safari, but the oblivious right. DNS is uh, for all apps. Correct. So your computer basically is doing all of its DNS in this way. So your all of your DNS queries have just been anonymized. So why didn't they do the full web traffic of everything on your on your Mac? Does that break well, everybody's apps? It would, yes. It, it would certainly have the effect of breaking a lot of things. So they've been very, very careful about what gets rooted through this. And also there's a capacity issue, right? Because there's only so much. So if you stick HTTP through an HTTP proxy, it's fine because it'll work. But if you stick some random internet protocol through an HTTP proxy, you could have all sorts of nasty network effects that cause, you know, horrible Skype lag and all sorts of horrible artifacting because tunneling Mm. a protocol through another can have side effects, particularly a time-sensitive protocol. So you want to be very careful that you don't just randomly tunnel everyone's stuff without telling them because then all of a sudden their Macs get all hinky. And uh, we have lots and lots of people sending us in audio recordings, telling us everything's fiddly. Yeah. So <laughs> it sounds to me like if you want your traffic to be as obfuscated as possible and you have a choice of using the web version of something and you have or the app made mm. by that company, you would use the web. That's a really interesting point. But yes, that's a, so that's a bizarre a bonus feature. App and, a, and your Safari in gmail.com. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's a very interesting point. I like that. Yes. That makes sense. Now, is all of this only on the Mac? No, Not no, on this iOS? is No, no, that's the great thing. This is iPhone, iOS. So iPhone, iPad and Mac all get this, which is amazing. 
But there's more. So there's one more thing. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's two out of three. So what they're also doing is they're taking a subset of HTTP traffic and wrapping this that in the same encryption. Now, the reason they're doing a subset is to be careful not to break things. So HTTP traffic that's going to your local area network is ignored. HTTP traffic going to private domain names is ignored. And HTTP traffic routed through VPN apps is ignored. But other HTTP traffic from your Mac is wrapped in this wrapper so that it gets anonymized as far as the second party and then it becomes plain text. Okay, I couldn't follow that at all. Um, What were the three things that are opted out of this? So your local area network. Oh, your local local area area network is the most important one. So you know the way your printer has a web interface? Mm -hmm. That's probably not secured. Yeah. So if they were to try wrap that, they would break everyone's printer and all these kind of silly gotcha. devices that okay. have web so, interface. So the LAN is is opted out. VPN was opted out. What was the middle one? Uh, private DNS names. So there are DNS ranges that are private, like .local domain and stuff like that. So there, there are flagged private DNS domains. So they're ignored too. Okay, maybe I don't need to understand that one too well, but it would seem to me if it was not local, it's on my land, therefore already opted out. It doesn't out. have to be. It doesn't have to be. Huh. It could be a corporate thing. It, right. It's not going to come up for home users, but okay, it could let's... very much come up for corporate users. It's important not to break corporate Amer- the corporate world. Okay, so now That's I understand what line. those three things are that are opted out, but then what, what was the thing at the end about something being plain text? So HTTP is what we're talking about here. So that is a plain text protocol. Right. right. So HTTP is your not padlock version of the web. Right. So if an app is using HTTP and it doesn't fall into the exceptions, then Apple will wrap it in this protocol behind, effectively for free as well, mm-hmm. so that at least it's encrypted as far as the egress proxy. So it'll okay. still be plain text from the egress proxy the rest of the way to the server. Mm-hmm. It but it will be. be encrypted. It has to be, exactly. Yeah. Okay. But it will be encrypted through your local network, which could be a coffee shop, and through your ISP. Oh. So the two most dangerous parts of the journey will at least be protected. Oh, so you're bringing up the win. phone ISPs. Remember how they were selling yeah. in the US? They were allowed to sell our uh, network traffic? They won't that's know exactly. anymore. Oh, exactly. that's beautiful. Okay, I'm, now I'm loving this. Yeah. So now what about Amazon's sidewalk, Bart? How <laughs> <laughs> and air tags. <laughs> so can you see why to me Apple buried the lead here? Because this I mean they, they didn't want to overpromise, I guess, because it would be very hard to explain all these caveats, particularly on the HTTP upgrading stuff that would be so hard to do in a keynote and say, apart from this, 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 and this, I think it would just confuse everyone. But the anonymous DNS system wide, I think they should have they should have crowed about that from the highest hill they should have blown their own trumpet so loud yeah you know yes but can you even imagine (laughs) you trying to explain it as you've explained it to me where i've already had an hour and a half lesson on odoh and uh, i've reread the show notes and and uh, studied it again to remember before we started talking today that wouldn't have gone off very well in a keynote or even a state of the union it's yeah, I know it's it's a difficult one because it's darn cool, 
Yeah. But they could have at least said, we'll protect all of your DNS. I mean, they didn't have to go into any more detail than that. They could have just said, we'll protect all of your DNS using oblivious DNS. I mean, they could have mentioned the protocol and left it at that, right? Yeah, they could just drop just it so the we'll nerds who, who the, the privacy-aware people who understood it would go, what? And then go look up the detailed information. Yeah, so the keynote was on Monday. We're recording on Sunday. And I finally, finally got to the point where I understood everything this morning. <laughs> That's... Right. So if, if Apple had just dropped the one keyword ODOH into the, into the keynote or into the State of the Union, that would have been enough to get me going. But right. no, I had to go and watch the developer video on how to prepare your app for this new feature. And ironically, you don't have to do any preparation. But the link is in the show notes, actually. That video was 15 minutes long. Yeah. The first half of that video is explaining the problem to be solved. It's superb, and it is entirely suitable to our audience. Well, so and you also needed Dave Hamilton to have found it and understood yeah. the, its importance as well for you to be able to to do it. Whereas had they just said ODOH once... I would have been there. Yeah. yeah. Bart's little ears would have perked right up. Because <laughs> I was looking. Like, what I've been looking for all week in everyone's coverage is an acronym. Just give me an acronym. There's something going on here and I know it's cool and I know there's a technology here. What is the technology? What is the technology? What is the technology? I've just been yeah. waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, there was a slide. It's like, oh my God, there it is in black and white on a slide from Apple. Like, oh, thank and goodness. everybody else has been going, I don't know. Is it a VPN? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so link in the show notes to the Dave Hamilton article, which is excellent, to Cloudflare's blog post explaining ODOH when it launched back in December, and a link to that video. And honestly, the first half I would recommend to everyone in our audience, because it's about the problem to be solved. And the second half, then, is about, you know, you as a developer and APIs you can use. Because what developers can do is Apple have made APIs so that developers can know if their connection has been upgraded with privacy, private relay. So what Apple have added in is the ability for developers to know when their traffic is and isn't protected, but that's kind of all they have to do. The traffic will be protected or won't be, depending on whether the person has iCloud Plus, yada, yada, yada. But they don't actually have to do anything oh, to enable it. You just reminded me. You have to have iCloud Plus for, to have this? You do. And iCloud Plus is really confusing too. So do we want to spend 30 seconds trying yes. to explain iCloud Plus? Yes. So up until now... Apple had one name for iCloud. It was iCloud. And mm -hmm. some people had free iCloud accounts and some people paid for iCloud. And Apple didn't have a different name for those two groups of people. And free From was now, the five megabytes of I think it's five storage. gigs, but it's not a lot because no. you back up a few iPhones. Is it gigs? It is five gigs, but think okay. about backing up your photos on an iPhone. Yeah. You go through five gigs very quick. So it yeah. sounds big until you realize what it's for. And then it isn't big. So... Anyone who had a free account just continues to be called iCloud. But anyone who pays even the 99 cent a month is now being called iCloud Plus. Okay. So if you pay for iCloud, you're now being branded as having iCloud Plus. And then they added all these cool new features for the people who pay. And it really can be any paid package. So even the 99 cent package. Okay. So that is interesting because there's a lot of people that that first dollar is real hard. <laughs> and for the people who've finally gone, fine, I'll give you a dollar also. And they're like, well, you know what? Three bucks is worth it to go to. The or in my case, Apple won. Well, yeah. Then it starts it starts going up from there. But there's a lot of people who've held, they either hold the line at, at zero. Zero. Or they jump to three. 
pretty quickly. And the three package is pretty good. I spent a lot of years on the three package. Yeah. Basically the one up from the bottom, whatever that was in euros, because it wasn't a nice round number in euros. But whatever that was, I spent a long time there and now I'm on Apple One because I love Apple TV+. Plus. The better half loves uh, Arcade. And hey, who doesn't want more iCloud storage? So Apple One was like, yeah, okay, I'll just take it. Thank you. Anyway, yeah, just to review, uh, 50 gigabytes, you're right, uh, is uh, 99 cents. 200 yeah. gigabytes is $3 and two terabytes is $10. And then you start getting into the... Uh, uh, the Obscene. A- the <laughs> Apple One stuff, yeah. I'm a fan too, but there's a lot of people who can't afford, you know, they can maybe afford the dollar, maybe afford the yeah. $3, but the you start getting in the other services, that's, that's out of reach. And so it's nice to know that a dollar gets it to you. But I think that's really important for our audience yeah. to know. If, if you got excited about all this, how important is your privacy for a dollar a month? Yeah. Yeah, and and just to have the dollar a month is kind of important, I think, so you can back up your iPhones and stuff. Because our iPhones are like little parts of our brain. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone's iPhone should be backed up. And the fact that you now get all this privacy stuff is like, yay. I know someone who got rid that. of their iPhone because it kept telling them they needed to pay a dollar to back it up and, and to take more photos because their their phone was full. And so she she got rid of it. She later on went came back to the iPhone. But she went off to Android wow. for two or three years. That's an interesting choice. Humans make strange choices. I, I'm not sure she made it with eyes wide open. Right. But it, it, she's a norm. You know, she's a muggle. Yeah. That's the decision she there made. You because it was like, you keep pissing me, you keep yelling at me, and I don't like yeah. you yelling at me, so leave me alone. Yeah, and the, the Android won't. So, yeah, problem solved. <laughs> yeah. Well, until they started charging for Google Photos backup. Yeah, that was a big deal this week as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it this week or last week? It was recently enough anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very good. Thank you for uh, explaining all of that. This is this is very exciting. And, yeah, and you said hopefully was... within the next year, and that was only seven months ago. Yeah, I know, right? Because Apple and you know Apple and Cloudflare announced this cool thing, and I was like, yeah, but we need people to sign up. I, will we have it soon? And I remember you pestering me, going, when can we have it? When can we have it? And I was like, <laughs> well, I hope within the next year. I didn't think it'd come like this. So here we are. And Bart did put a link in these show notes to that full description, and it's it's really good. I reread it this morning to to hopefully try to keep up when we were talking today. Cool. Okay, so that brings us out of our deep dives. We're back up to normal level water, or whatever we want to say we're swimming in. Um, action alerts. It has been Patch Tuesday. Microsoft patched six zero days. So patchy, patchy, patch, patch. Meanwhile... Chrome were busy too. They had a zero of day of their own, so patchy, patchy, patch, patch your Google Chrome as well. Alrighty. Were the warnings then? Just in case you were wondering why we keep on going on about password managers and not reusing your password, we have a new record for the largest ever leak of stolen passwords. So this is not one place losing lots of passwords. This is cyber criminals losing their cash of collected passwords. Their cash they lost was 8.4 billion with a B passwords. So did they get hacked? No, it was well, it's not clear. It was posted on a public hacking forum. Okay, but so they didn't intend to do that. I don't think the people who spent all that time collecting it intended that, but I'm not entirely sure how it I don't know the ins and outs of how it got out there, but that's what the bad guys have in their back pocket. 
And they've had it in their back pocket probably for ages. We just didn't know about it. Right. And now we know that's what they have in their back pocket. And so I don't reuse your passwords. I assume that's all in Have I Been Pwned by Now? I hope so. One would hope. It should be, right? That's the whole point, is that as soon as they see something, they slurp it up. So yeah, that'll yeah. keep their servers occupied. <laughs> I just checked uh, Watchtower on one password, and uh, I have no compromised websites, no vulnerable passwords. So yay! Nicely done. I actually cleaned. Right. Well, I actually cleaned it up just a week or two ago. I went just went back through and said, "Okay, let's make sure these are." I, I won't talk about weak passwords and unsecured websites because the weak password part of one password drives me crazy. It's things like, um, you know, the the pin code to my locker at the gym. <laughs> well, it is okay, weak, yeah, it's going it to be four. <laughs> you know, it, my uh, my real favorite is uh, the the library. I think it's it's four digits and it's part of your address. It's like the the the. <laughs> it's like okay, I'm sorry. One password it is, is like yeah. terrible. Is what it says. <laughs> there should be a tick box to say you know don't tell me about this again because yes. I have one or two sites that basically say your password cannot be longer than eight characters. It's like okay. Yeah, I don't want to be nagged about those. Well, and the other one I did, I went on a rant about this just recently. But the other one that bugs me is when you're you've got um, uh, like iCloud. There's a couple of different ways to get in, right? AppleID.apple.com and iCloud.com. Mm-hmm. Those are the same mm-hmm. password, and they're always going to be the same password. So I mm-hmm. one password. Stop yelling at me about that. I can't change Aha. that. Uh, yes, you you can stop one password yelling. Why? I posted about this in the Slack. So in one password, you can have multiple URLs in one entry. So instead of having multiple entries for all the places, you make one entry and you put all those addresses into the one entry and then one password stops seeing them as a duplicate and it stops yelling. Mm. This I know because I did it. Okay, maybe I should take a look at that. I got to think because what I end up doing is like with uh, Microsoft, I had a ton of them. So I ended mm-hmm. up naming my my Microsoft entry... Uh, uh, what is it? Where is it? Microsoft OneDrive Skype Office Live. That's what I named my, my entry. My Microsoft One has 12 URLs in it. Oh, well. well, but what I'm saying is I named it that because I don't know I at the moment it. in time, I might be going, what's my Skype password? What's my Office password? What's my Live password? What's my OneDrive password? What's my Microsoft.com password? Yeah, so you can name the sites. So in one password, you know the way it says website by default and then a URL? You can oh, actually you change can website. Ah. Yeah, so what I have in my Microsoft one is my Microsoft's called Microsoft Single Sign-On, and then it's one of them says Office 365 Admin, and one of them says Teams Admin, and you know, all those different yeah, things. Yeah, but search in certain ways that you search for it on, on the one password app will only search the titles. I have my search set to search all fields, which slows it down but, a little bit. But but there's a there's one one view you can't do that. I'm pretty sure. Possibly. Anyway, anyway this I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely investigate this because I want it to stop yelling at me. Agreed, agreed. And I I, I I was listening to the podcast last week, going, I get to tell Alison something. So there you go. Because <laughs> normally I learn so much from you. It's nice to be able to. You know, repay the favor, especially well, because you do so much. You do so much screencasting. You're like the Uber expert on so many apps. <laughs> Thanks. I'm bored. Yeah, you are. Good. It's about time I get to turn that around because I don't take well to praise, and you keep making me blush. So your turn. <laughs> Dang it. Notable news then. Um, it, it, right. I I'm getting this story out of the way first, so I can get my crankitude done with. So. There's a court case in Arizona, and one of the people involved is Google. And as part of Discovery, we get to see things inside Google. 
And one of the things we got to see was Google's documentation of some testing they did. It's, it's a classic technique called A-B testing, where you have an idea that if we change this to that, it might have this effect. But how do we prove to ourselves that it has this effect? So you take half your customers and give them one UI and half your customers and give them the other, and then you measure the difference. So it's called A-B testing. They spent ages and many engineers figuring out how how deep in the menus they had to hide location privacy settings to make them technically there so they can say we allow people to customize it, but so people won't use them. Oh my gosh. So oh they waste Yeah. So they spent engineering time and effort to figure out how to make the settings exist but effectively not exist. That is disgusting. Yes, it is. Jeez. As opposed to Apple putting a pop-up going, hey, you want these people to track you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Urgh, made me so cranky. Uh, the other big story that's related is that Google have said that they're going to kind of sort of follow Apple's lead on app tracking transparency. And it is true that they are going to make it possible to to block access to their equivalent of Apple's uh, IDFA, which is ID for Advertisers. So, so Android has a similar ID, which is used by advertisers to track you across app. There is a fundamental difference in what Google are proposing and what Apple have done. The obvious one being Apple have done and Google say they will do. But the other one is Google will allow users opt out. What made Apple's change so spectacular was that it was opt-in. So when you hear people say Google have copied Apple, it's only half true. So you won't, you will have to know to go turn it yes. off. Correct. Okay. Hey, back on the other one, on the A-B testing to, to bury mm -hmm. the privacy settings, was that an, uh, on Android? Uh, it was in your Google account which oh. is in Android and all of your other stuff, right? Because your Google account is kind of the, the brains of the operation for Google. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever gone to look for that, Bart. At, at, at uh, Google, at like gmail.com, I would find it. Uh, well, or on Google. any Google com. site, I think you click on your face in the top right corner and then you go down a rabbit hole. Okay. What I have I, done it. What if I click on my feet? Because that's my avatar. Will that still work? <laughs> yes <laughs> although the settings are upside down if you go that way no yes, um exactly. anyway uh now so the second so we you and i both really love the fact that the fbi were able to claw back a whole bunch of their ransomware money from um cyber criminals for the uh pipeline a very similar story made me smile it's called operation trojan shield which is kind of enough reason to smile anyway that's a cool name <laughs> But uh, the Australian Federal Police collaborated with the FBI and Europol to infiltrate the highest levels of international crime. And not just cybercrime, just international organised crime. Basically, a few years ago, the FBI managed to wrap up, a sort of, basically to arrest all the people behind and kill the most popular encrypted chat app used by the cybercrime world. And that created a vacuum where the cybercriminals okay. were looking for a new tool. Okay. And the Australian Federal Police managed to get a guy, a whistleblower, who basically said, how's about I write you an app with the back door? So they did. And they managed to trick, using this whistleblower, the cybercrime community. They basically gave it to the influencers of cybercrime. And it spread like wildfire. 
And they ended up with this booby-trapped private chat app being used by thousands of organized criminals all over the world. Yeah, I think and it was 1,200. 1,200 of these, I think, is what was out there. Yep. So they started with 50 to spread the word, and it ballooned up to 1,200. And they sat and watched until the appropriate moment, which was this week, when simultaneously in 16 countries, the police swooped in and made 800 arrests. That That is the most beautiful story I think I've ever heard. I mean, that, you know, the, the, the FBI, the FBI's work, that was, that was cute. We enjoyed that. That was, you know, but, but this yeah. is, this is people, they were saying that the traffic in this was the most horrific stuff you've ever seen yeah. of, you know, hits on people and, you know, murders and such. How they decided when, okay, we got enough pe- fish in the net. Because you start wondering yeah. how many people died being because of organized crime between when they because it took a couple of years to gather this much uh, information, right? It did. Yeah, I mean, it would have been very interesting to be at the top levels of this. And in March, the the whole thing was nearly blown when a security researcher reported problems in the app. Oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> and there were problems. The app was booby traps. <laughs> I heard that at one point they they saw in the chatter that people were complaining about certain features not being there, so they wanted to make sure that they kept using it. So they upgraded the app to include <laughs> the features because they could see what they were talking about. Right, going, That's oh brilliant. man, I wish this wow, had smiley these developers emojis. are really responsive. <laughs> <laughs> That's I hadn't read that little subtle detail. That's brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that definitely made me very happy. Um, and another story that made me happy, but it's very nerdy in a, in a sort of a civics dork kind of way. But the US Supreme Court has narrowed the, interpre- the interpretation of the CFAA, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. And this is spectacularly good news because the CFAA is one of the most abused pieces of legislation in the US. So basically, if you broke a website's terms of service, you could be done for a felony. And so this was just used as an excuse by prosecutors all over the country to to criminalise almost anyone, because who has never broken a toss? Like, which of us has never broken a terms of service on the web? Mm -hmm. So you can't just make someone a felon for breaking a terms of service on the web. So it is a good outcome, even though it sounds bad, because a a conviction of a corrupt cop was thrown out. But the thing is, the court were like, yeah, no, you can still convict him for corruption. Just not because not he used hacking. a computer. Yeah. Because he didn't hack. He had access to it legitimately. He just used it for illegitimate reasons. Go after him for what he did, not for the fact that there was a computer involved. Right. And that's so, exactly what it was, was was uh, making it illegal to use a computer for not this, not what you were authorized to use it for. So he had authorized access as a police officer, but he did it like as a favor to a friend. He looked somebody up. I forget exactly what he did, but... Uh, yeah, that, that, that was an interesting one where you're like, oh, wait, I want that guy. Well, no, that's not right to have it that way. Yeah, exactly. By all means, prosecute him for, for, for the actual crime, not because he used a computer. So the, it sounds, it sounds backwards, but the CFAA is something I've, since Aaron Schwartz committed suicide, I've been, sorry, since Aaron Schwartz died by suicide, I'm trying to remember the right way to say that without being wrong. Um, I apologize because I know I got that wrong. Uh, but since the Aaron uh, Schwartz case, I've been following the CFAA because I hadn't realized it was causing so much chaos. Um, and I'm just happy to see this as the outcome. Yeah. And it, yeah. I think it was a 6-3, not a 5-4, which is kind of nice. Oh, oh, that it was a Finally. Uh, majority rule. Yeah. A larger majority Finally. rule. Finally. Yeah. 
Yeah. Finally, then, some more good news. Um, iOS 14 is going to continue to receive security updates even after iOS 15 comes out. Yeah, why Apple are going to provide do a that, though? I think it's because... Okay, so what used to happen is people would be afraid of upgrading to the big OS jump, so they'd stay on the old up in the old OS, but that meant they were vulnerable to a whole bunch of security stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas this way, Apple are going to provide a toggle that says, keep doing auto updates, but don't jump major versions without my say-so. So your phone okay. can stay secure, and you get to decide when the big change happens. So this means a lot more people will stay back. I, I imagine they'll stay back for a while. So my, so Apple haven't told us their entire vision, right? They've told us this checkbox is coming into being, this toggle, this this control. And initially, when Apple release iOS 15, people are going to be left alone and not nagged in any way, and they can stay on iOS 14 until they're comfortable. Wait, but I am be, almost sure... They won't be nagged? How will you know that well, no, it's there? Well, the, the whole point is that if you toggle the switch, you're you're expressing your desire not to move major OS yet. But at some point when support for iOS 14 comes to an end, I imagine the nagging will begin. I don't trust them not to nag. And I'm we shall sure see, right? They have not to, given right? us detail. I mean, you don't have to jump to Big Sur. But if you're on Catalina, you're going to find out about it about three days of the week, right? True. But at least on the Mac, you've been getting security updates, the versions back. So I guess this just makes iOS more Mac-like. Yeah, yeah. But I, I expect they will continue. I, I don't think we should assume they won't nag you. We, I, I will be watching with great interest how they play this. Because mm-hmm. you're right, they haven't been very explicit that the existence of the checkbox is progress. We shall see. Yeah, it'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, stay, yeah. stay tuned, stay tuned. And that brings us to palette cleansing. Although, to be honest, as as security bits or as uh, uh, security bits goes, this, this hasn't been the worst. No, this I think it's been really cool. It's, I'm, I'm not but, wanting to kill myself at all. Well, good, but I'm still going to give you some palette cleansers anyway. And I so get one not? too. You do. So, first thing I want to do another podcast recommendation, and this has nothing to do with security, right? Which is why it's a good palate cleanser. But I think this is going to be completely the kind of thing that Nasilla Castaways will love. So, there's a podcast series that is a series of series. So, they basically, they're little, like, you know, six related episodes, and then they jump onto a completely new topic. But they've just started, I think it's going to be a six parter called Blind Guy Travels. And they've released a preview episode where you sort of get a flavor of what the show is going to be about. And the first episode, the first full episode is out as well. And it's a fascinating look at the world from a blind person's perspective, uh, particularly sort of from the point of view of the things you take for granted that are not at all for granted. So the first episode is about the guy's TED talk. And to give a TED talk is a big deal. And you're up on stage, and what the sighted people probably don't consider at all is that you, having been blind your entire life, have no idea what gestures are. But a Hmm. presentation given on a stage by someone who stands stock still is not engaging. So his journey with a choreographer (laughs) to learn how to look natural 
is the subject of the first episode. It's it's fascinating. And so the whole thing is going to be about his, you know, his journey through life and how things we take for granted are not for granted at all. So it just sounds like the kind of thing, you know, this community would love. So yeah. I figured I'd link to it. Yeah, that does sound really good. I know that there's a, a whole field of study on gestures. Like I remember reading a paper tracking uh, people of uh, different cultures and how they gesture. Yeah, the the obvious one being Italians, right? And they were looking at when the children learned the gestures and stuff. It was it was very it was very interesting. That's so sad. Interesting. Yeah, that is. Yeah, some European cultures are very gestury, very gestury. Uh, And then my second pick is another video. So, just like in the video explaining uh, private, really? Uh huh. Okay, got it. Uh, The first half was generic. And then they went on to the nerdy stuff. Well, Apple have released a video pre, sort of prepping developers for the future. Hmm. So this is not something that's ready to go now, but they're, they're, they're sort of laying out the roadmap so developers understand where Apple is taking the ecosystem. And this is about the future without passwords. So Apple's roadmap to get from here to this utopia where we have strong authentication without passwords. And Apple start with how we got to here, what's wrong with here, what an ideal solution would look like in terms of different properties it would have. And then they explain how Apple's implementation of WebAuthn is going to bring us to this wonderful future. Wow. And in the process, they do the best job of anyone I have seen of explaining WebAuthn, which we've tried to explain at least (laughs) twice. So Apple do a much better job than anyone else I've seen. So if nothing else, just watch the first half so that you, you, you get the best description I've seen of WebAuth. And, and if you're an Apple user, keep watching to see the future because darn, it looks good. Oh, good. It looks really good. I wonder where how companies like LastPass and 1Password start to position themselves to have other businesses as uh, if, if passwords can uh, can go away. I mean, even even in their positions, they can't hope that passwords are here to stay. True, but I think they're already sort of positioning themselves by having health data and basically stuff you care about in their vault, right? They're they're already going out of their way to tell you to put stuff in here, like your bank account details and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they're, yeah. Yeah, they're trying to turn themselves into a safety deposit box instead of just a password manager. Right, right. Well, I get I get to do the uh, the next palate cleanser, and this is a uh, all because of Dave Hay posting in our Slack. So Sandy has been enjoying talking to Apple uh, uh, Apple Care, and uh, she oh, is no. now at the point where they have sent it to engineering, which I said is just like in uh, the Twilight Zone when Billy Mummy would wish things into the cornfields. Basically, <laughs> it is you are never to hear from them again. Is what I'm sending it to engineering means. Anyway, uh, Dave Hay posted in the slack in response to sandy's frustration an 11 year old xkcd comic that i had never seen before that is is just spectacular um i'm gonna i'm gonna ruin it by telling you the punchline of it basically it's somebody uh talking on um uh talking on tech support to a a terrible tech support person right who doesn't understand uh who they should be talking to and that the person is much more literate than the person they're talking to so the uh the the caller says i'm sorry but this isn't gonna get fixed till i talk to an engineer can you look around for someone wearing cargo pants maybe a subway map on their wall (laughs) 
And the, the online tech support per, person says, there's a chick with two phones or two phones over with a stuffed penguin doll and a poster of some bearded dude with swords. So the caller says, perfect. Can you put her on? Sure. So she says, uh, hey, so sorry to bother you, but my connection. Yeah, I see it. Lingering problems from a server move. Type, type, type. Should be fixed now. Thank you so much. The person on the phone says, no problem. Hey, in the future, if you're on any tech support call, you can say the word shibboleth at any point and you'll be automatically transferred to someone who knows a minimum of two programming languages. <laughs> he says, seriously? Yep, it's a backdoor put in by the geeks who built these phone support systems back in the 1990s. Don't tell anyone. Unfortunately, the person wakes up at the end of the cartoon. <laughs> but I said, that don't is such you a just sad ending, want right? that to exist? He's just so desperately. So what I thought was really fun was I looked up the word uh, shibboleth just to see how much it had been talked about. And I found an article on uh, csmonitor.com where they explained that shibboleth is a clever mixture of leet and shibboleth. And uh, leet, we know, is the hacker code for elite or, or skilled uh, geek. But shibboleth comes from the Bible. It's the Hebrew word for an ear of corn, but requires a true native accent to pronounce properly. Because the word was so difficult for foreigners to say, shibboleth became a, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, became a code word for early Israelites, a dead giveaway that someone was an interloper. Now shibboleth is a, a catch-all term for any customer belief that sets one group of people apart from another. Isn't that fantastic that it was actually Leet and Shibboleth put together? I just love that. That is very cool. And an extra layer of geeky nerditude, Shibboleth is the name for the protocol that drives most single sign-on online these days. Okay, so they used it too. They I used like it that, too. But so making it Shibboleth, that's just one level up. That's yes, yes it is. <laughs> Only it really XKCD is. can do that. Well, I think that's a actually, good place for us to stop there, Bert. Sounds good to me. We have, it's been fun actually, but I'm just looking at the clock. You're right. God, time really does fly when the two of us are nerding out. <laughs> I had fun. Yes, excellent. Well, anyway, until next time, remember folks, stay patched so you stay secure. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions. Everything is fiddly recordings, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeed.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeed. Remember, everything good starts with podfeed.com. You want to become a patron like Bodie Grimm did this week? Go to podfeed.com slash Patreon. Want to do a one-time donation? Those help a lot. Go to podfeed.com slash PayPal. And if you want to join in the conversation and chat with other no-silla castaways about everything tech, you can go to podfeed.com slash Slack or podfeed.com slash Facebook. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeed.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.